What does it even mean? Your pursuit of gut health is probably taking you down a rabbit hole of misinformation, useless concoctions, and false promises. So this is where this uncensored podcast comes in. The gastroenterologist and his daughter is the first of its kind, bringing a specialist gastroenterologist and his daughter, yours truly, to help you navigate the world of all things gut health from mouth to bum and everything in between. Join me, Sandra McHale, gut health specialist dietitian and founder of Nutrition A to Z, and my father, Wagdi McHale, specialist gastroenterologist and internist, as we unpack the most talked about topics in gut health, covering both the medical and lifestyle aspects of all things gut, with a ton of comedy and fecal tete-a-tete. Right, let's get into it. We're back again this week with all things gut talk, and today's episode is all about poo. We actually decided to split it into two parts, given that we like to talk a lot. So part one, which is today, will walk you through understanding your poo and everything that you need to know about constipation. Part two will uncover diarrhea. But I will let my father lead today's conversation this time. Dad, Dad are you there? Yes. Hi, Sandra. How are you? I'm... Did you go to the bathroom today? <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> yes, I did. Why do you have to start? Okay. Yes, I did it's, it's... go to the bathroom today. And Zoe and everybody at home and it's okay. Yes. Our bowel movements are regular. Normal. And normal. No one's got diarrhea. No one's got constipation. My, my normal is twice a day and it's like clockwork. So I go every single morning, uh, one or two times a day, but majority of the time it's twice a day. How's your so poo, dad? <laughs> <laughs> it's smelly. Anyway, <laughs> it's good. I go to once a day or twice. Uh, anyway, thank you very much for letting me to start this smelly episode about the poo. <laughs> you know, it's called poo or poop, feces, yeah, yeah. stools, number two, big one. <laughs> and in Arabic, we call it khrug uh, or braz or something else in uh, Egyptian language. I don't want to say it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when I'm uh, starting preparing for this episode, it came to me very nice quote by Sir William Osler. He's Canadian physician, died in 1990. He's very famous. He's one of the founders of John Hopkins. And he's got very nice quotes. One of them, which is uh, said, listen to your patient. He's telling you the diagnosis, implying the importance of uh, physician-patient relationship. And in this episode, I can quote, give me your poo. I tell you the diagnosis. <laughs> That's a great quote. <laughs> okay. So, so I hope it don't stuck to me. <laughs> so yeah. why is it important for us to pay attention to our poo and our bowel movements? It's very important to have the stool. I'll tell you why. First, fecal ochal blood, which is the uh, the hidden blood. It can be a marker of bowel cancer. We use it in bowel cancer screening. And you know, in Australia, between the age of 50 and 74, you are eligible to do this, uh, they call it IFOBT, every two years uh, through the National Bowel Cancer Screening Program. So it's very important. Uh, another important is the stool microscopy and culture. Uh, we can detect bacteria, a lot of bacteria. We can detect viruses, we can detect parasites. 
which are the causes of gastroenteritis. There is another test as well. It's called Clostridium difficile, which is the bacteria causing uh, colitis, which is we, you, we call it pseudomembrous colitis, which is after the taking the antibiotic, it can cause this type of colitis. Another important point is the H. pylori or Helicobacter pylori, which is the cause of gastric ulcer, renal ulcer, gastritis. We can check it as well in the stool. Another test recently uh, for the last few years, which is called the fecal calprotectin. This inflammatory marker, it is very good uh, marker of inflammatory bodies, arthritis and Crohn's. And it's very important to explain it or uh, don't rush that this is uh, 100% Crohn's disease or arthritis because it is there in acute gastroenteritis and the, some people taking non-steroidal and inflammatory drugs, it, you, can, you can detect. So we, we have to be careful in understanding this fecal calpro. The other important one which can detect the pancreatic problems called fecal illustrase and fat. So you can see that it is important to check your stool, okay? So it can tell us a lot about if something bad is happening or if we've picked up a tummy bug or if there is something serious, but we can also screen for certain conditions to using our poo. So our poo can tell us a lot about our health. Yes. Uh, the funny thing is when I ask uh, the patient, I ask them about the stool, everything, the history and drugs, history and everything. When it comes to the poo, some of them, they said, oh, sorry, doc, I, I, I didn't look at it at all. It's very... Uh, oh, really? Yes. And the other extreme, some patients send me the picture of the poo on WhatsApp. <laughs> so... <laughs> See, sometimes, I mean, sometimes I ask my clients, I mean, we, we ask for photos of their food, but I highly, you know, I emphasize that I do not want to see their poo. They can just describe no, I, I, it. I, I, <laughs> you've got I can photos. See, I can see photos in WhatsApp. I can send it to you. All right. So you've got two extremes then. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it's very important to, to see the your poo at this. After finishing, have a quick look, close the lid and flush. That's all. <laughs> right. okay. So that... Why don't we start off by describing what is normal? So what is normal poo? We, we can talk about three things, the frequency, consistency, and color. Mm -hmm. Okay. So for the frequency, I start with the frequency. It's maximum three times a day and minimum of three times a week. This is the norm. And if your normal is between these two, it's okay. And this depends on your habits. If we go back years or years and you are okay, once a week, once a day is okay, twice a day is okay, three times a day is okay, or three times a week. But if you are three times a week and now you are struggling with once a week, so you've got constipation, you have to look for it. If you've got a day more than three or four times a day and consistency is less, so you have altered bowel habits that you have to, uh, to investigate for these things. This is regarding the frequency. Anything in the frequency you want to say? No, I always say that. So pooping no more than three times a day or less than three times a week warrants investigations. This is what I always tell my clients, to think of the number three. But if you are, this is your habit, yeah, that's good. Yeah. And for the consistency, uh, I think, shall I give this to you? Sure, I'm happy to have consistency. <laughs> and I mean, we've mentioned this in our last episode, 
So basically when it comes to the consistency, I think the best way to describe it is using the, the Bristol poo chart or the Bristol poo uh, stool chart, as we have probably highlighted this in the last episode. But basically, this is just simply a chart that's been used to help people communicate their type of poo. And it is classified into seven different types. Um, you can definitely Google or like search the internet for the images, and that will give you a, a better idea of what I am talking about. So the first two types, type one and type two, these two indicate a tendency towards constipation. So what they look like is the stools appear to be separate or hard lumps or pebble-like. So think of goat poo um, or let's say snake shape, but really, really lumpy and difficult to pass. Type three and type four is what I would call an ideal poo. So this is basically when I refer to a sausage-like poo with a little bit of cracks or soft and smooth that is snake-like. So both types are soft and are easy to pass with little effort. And another thing that I tell my clients is when you wipe your bum, you should see nothing or have minimal residue on the toilet paper. So that's when you know you have a good poo. So that's type three and type four. Type five generally look like soft blobs with clear cut edges. You still easily pass them, but sometimes the consistency may lead a lot of people to think that they're experiencing diarrhea, but that's not the case. I would say diarrhea is around the type six and type seven. So Type six is more like the mashed potatoes or porridge-like poo, and type seven is watery with no solid pieces. So when we talk about the consistency, I think it's always important that we bring up the, the Bristol stool chart. And then that comes to the color. I mean, dad, obviously a normal poo, or a, generally yeah. it's it's brown. I know we have different shades of brown. So before going to the uh, color, do you have Bristol chart and you, do you show it to your patient? Because I have it on my mobile, on I my laptop, printed on out, my desktop. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I have a All printout right. and I ask. So the funny thing is I ask my clients, what type of poo are you? And they just burst out laughing and they say, are you sure you need all that information? And this is where I tell them, yes, the more yes. the merrier, because your poo can say a lot about your health. Yeah, it's very informative, yeah. Absolutely. And this, you know, a lot of people then talk about the colors of poo and when should they worry? There is a lot of different colors of the poo and each one implies important thing, important disease, important uh, something you eat or something you have, uh, you have eaten or something. What's, you said the normal color is what? The brown? Brown. The sh yeah, sh shades of brown, you know, slight, nice shades of brown from very dark brown to light brown, but not of white. Okay. All right, so, not so, we can, so white, we'll, we'll talk about the, the red flags or let's say the poos that we need to be aware of. The One of the important poos, which the pale or the white, the uh, of white or very pale, the pale stool is... Uh, important because it can implies problems in the pancreas, liver, or gallbladder. And it can be caused as well by cirrhosis of the liver, hepatitis, something called cystic fibrosis, pancreatitis, pancreatic cancer. And you know that celiac disease as well can cause pale stool? No, that, yes, that because, I didn't know. Yeah, because it reduces your gut ability to absorb fat efficient, efficiently. Uh, so, so it's can, either poorly it, yeah. managed celiac or undiagnosed yeah. celiac disease. Okay. Yeah, that's right. So if it is, if it is maybe 
advanced case of celiac disease. And the important thing as well, and weight loss medication can cause this as well. Yeah, and that even, I, yeah. I was aware of that certain meds, especially the weight loss meds can cause it. And even probiotic supplements. So you have to be careful of this because this as well, it limits your ability to absorb fat. Yep. So the first color to be wary of and to get checked, if it's white, pale, or off-white, yeah. what's the next color of concern? Uh, what Do you have the red color? <laughs> <laughs> yes, red is. Well, unless you've eaten beetroot. Yeah, Ma, if it is red color, uh, you have to be careful. It's bright red, and you have to, to be careful of... Uh, because red color is blood. Or if you are eating anything which can cause reddish stool. So like beetroot, as you said, okay. And but generally, what, what, so a bright red poo, and if you do notice, let's say, um, bright blood when you wipe, can that be an indication of bleeding in, in the lower part of your gut? Yeah, most likely. You can have an anal fissure, mm-hmm. bowel cancer, rectal or colonic polyps, hemorrhoids, of course, inflammatory bowel disease, Acrylis or Crohn's disease, fistula, infection, or rectal prolapse. All this is important. It might cause red blood or bleeding. So you have to be aware of this. But just to, to, to reassure our listeners that a lot of these might sound very scary. And how often would it be, let's say, bowel cancer? Or, you know, what are the chances? Yeah, of course, yeah, bowel cancer, it is it depends a lot of many things apart from bleeding. If uh, uh, if it's consistent bleeding, the age of the patient, the type of bleeding, and uh, how long and associated symptoms. And if for example, if patient has got bowel cancer and is got bleeding on and off for a long time, it will be associated with low hemoglobin. It's got anemia. And if he's above the age of 45 or something, have to be careful. If it is iron deficiency, anemia, bleeding, PR, colonoscopy straight away because uh, we have to rule out bowel cancer. Okay. Uh, most of the cases of fresh bleeding, most of this is like hemorrhoids or uh, anal fissure or something like this. In younger age group, we have to be careful of uh, inflammatory bowel disease. By the okay, way, so the, the majority of the cases would be hemorrhoids. And I know a lot of yeah. people have a lot of shame when it when it comes to hemorrhoids, yeah. and they're always shy to talk to their doctor about it. But I believe you see hemorrhoids, Dad, quite a lot. Yes, but be careful. If you give treatment for hemorrhoids and bleeding continues, you have to be careful. You have to do colonoscopy because okay. we have to, to get to the cause of bleeding. It's very important Right. And sometimes, some sometimes people come to me with I've got irritable bowel syndrome and I've got bleeding as well. So it's not doesn't fit. Okay, so we have to be careful with bleeding. Perfectly. So the red, let's say red, bright, bloody poo, is the second color that we need to be wary of. And what is the third? The third, which is important, is the black stool. So that's like tar-like, tar-like, tar, black tar. tar. So. Okay, it's not dark brown. It's black. So. You know, when it is black stools, usually it is from upper gastrointestinal tract and from the stomach and below. Uh, so it might be bleeding from the uh, esophagus if the patient has got severe alveresis due to uh, liver problem or gastric or duodenal ulcer or in the small intestine bleeding. 
it's important to ask the patient if he's taking iron supplement or not. The iron supplement can cause the uh, black stools, but it's different from the black stool due to bleeding, we, we can see. And also medication can cause this, which uh, like uh, we give sometimes patient medication which contains bismuth. We have to tell them that you're taking this medication, it makes the stool black. So we have to be careful of this. So this is the important three colors. Do you want another oh. color? Well, <laughs> sure. What other colors can we... I, I mean, again, and this is what I'm saying, like food can be green. Also, and that can a lot of the times will be food related. Green food, food but it's orange color. How about that? Okay. Orange poo? Yes. Well, sometimes people with the complaint of orange color stools, uh, which contains... If they eat something contains beta carotene, which is this type of pigment that can change the color of the stool to orange. Medication yeah. can cause this as well. Some antibiotics, some antacids can cause orange poo. And also if got blocked by ducts, it can cause due to gold stones or something, it can cause uh, orange stools. So, Well, I haven't encountered any of my clients yeah. with orange poo. I've got few, yeah. So <laughs> what else you want to say? Any other colors? No, I think we've covered the shades of poo. We've got brown, which, you know, the, the different shades of brown, which is normal. The three shades are the three colors that we need to be wary of, which are white, black, and red. And then we mentioned, you know, green and orange. So, and how, how, how about yellow? Bright yellow poo. Yes. Bright yellow poo. All right, go yeah. ahead, Dad. What does bright yellow tell us? If you diarrhea, you've got a fatty diet, you've got stress and anxiety and uh, Giardiasis, which is parasitic infection, can cause this yellow diarrhea. So I think I think I finished the colors. <laughs> All right. Are you happy with the colors now? Yeah. So I think we spoke about the frequency, we spoke about consistency, and we spoke about color. And let's now address one of the most common problematic poo issues, and yeah. that is constipation. How would you define it, Dad? So what does constipation mean? Like we said about the frequency before, if your bowel habits is three times a week and became once a week or twice a week, so this constipation. If your stool are hard or dry and your bowel movement is painful and the stool is difficult to pass, we can call this constipation. And sometimes it is you feel that you don't empty your rectum completely, so it is constipation. So that's a sensation of incomplete evacuation, as we call it. Yeah. So you yes. can still go to the loo every day and still be constipated. So for a lot of my clients, and this is a, a gentle reminder that it's not just a frequency, but if you're going every day and you're passing very hard, like lumpy type one and type two stools, that could be a person's definition of constipation. So I think it's individualized. Every person has their own definition of what constipation is. That's right. And a lot of patients, when he told me I've, I've got constipation, so I tell him how many times you go a week. So no, no, I, I, I go every day, but it's very, very tiny. It's very hard to pass stool. It's not like before. So his stool were normal before and now it's got every day goes but very little with difficulty so he's constipated and we have this type of persons we have to go further and investigate more okay and what what are the general causes of constipation first thing is the common lifestyle causes like eating food low in fiber or drinking not enough water 
no exercise and which is the uh, a lot of people in here when i'm working in middle east they don't have time or they don't have minds set to have exercise or change of routine if you for example when you travel you have constipation for one or two days i experienced this or eating or going to the bed with at different times this is when disturb your room or going to the bathroom doing uh, stools uh, or, or eating large amount of milk cheese sometimes stress can cause constipation and we say the irritable bowel syndrome with constipation okay and it is another important cause is the resisting the urge or the call of colon to go a lot of for this recent and modern life of the computer and social media and all of the people they they are sitting on the computer and they want to go to the toilet. all right i'll finish this and go or so delaying the, kids, the urge to go yeah the kids is very important to watch the kids about this because if they are playing on their uh, uh, computer or whatever they uh, they want to finish the game before go to the bathroom and they just neglect this and this by time because constipation for kids and another important thing which is to to have the medication can cause constipation as well what sort uh, of what types of medication the important ones which are the anti-inflammatory drugs which is you can uh, advil or ibuprofen or the other anti-inflammatory the uh, narcotics which contains codeine can, can cause constipation antidepressant as well but it's important to know that even if you are on antidepressant and develop constipation never ever stop these drugs because they are very important you can talk to your doctor about it they can send you to the gastroenterologist to sort out your constipation but never ever uh, stop your drugs stop without any yeah medical guidance or, yeah and tests as well which contains calcium or aluminum such as thumbs yeah a lot of people they get thumbs they got the, uh, and they used it frequently and then they can cause constipation iron supplement that's a very Alert. common one yeah. yes because these days as well there is a special iron tablets which cannot cause constipation they do it because of this so we have to be careful of which iron tablets you can take uh, anti allergic medications they can cause constipation a certain blood pressure tablet the uh, like frepamil and another drug which i don't want to say names but again don't stop your drug because it's essential for the treatment of hypertension uh, what else so other causes how about you know common causes of constipation we were talking about let's say diet you spoke about i mean you mentioned diet and lifestyle you mentioned some medication are um, there any sort of conditions that can cause constipation yeah the conditions the medical conditions if we come to the endocrine conditions like hypothyroidism which is the uh, the thyroid is lazy diabetes is very important the if you have got high calcium in the special uh, things in the uh, calcium metabolism colorectal cancer can cause constipation we talked about irritable bowel disease predominant constipation mm-hmm. feed diverticular disease as well diverticular disease is because of the pressure in the colon diarrhea constipation changes so the the weak points in the colon wall it can go to pockets and we call it diverticular disease okay and another uh, group of 
of disease which diseases which is the neurological disease like uh, ms which is multiple sclerosis stroke parkinson's, parkinson's as well yeah parkinson's. okay uh, in structure is very important which can cause sudden uh, constipation which might be due to two uh, tumors or something which is very important to know as well so this the is laser- when I, I would say i was going to say you know, when is constipation an emergency? So, because I, I, I've encountered that with some of my clients, is that most of the time I always say, look, constipation is a fact of life. But if you are experiencing a severe case of constipation coupled with one or more symptoms, it is, ex, you know, it is crucial that they seek medical help. And these symptoms are intense or abdominal pain, vomiting, persistent bloating, and bloody bloody poo. So these, you just mentioned, they can indicate things like an intestinal obstruction or perforation. Well, that's why if you got this couple of symptoms together, not only to have a medical advice to go to the hospital, to the emergency department, to be sorted out. Yes. Pregnancy is important cause as well of constipation. Yeah, hormones. I mean, as unfortunately, as women, we do experience a lot of change in bowel habits because hormones play a massive role when it comes to, um, you know, the type of poo. And this is, I mean, a lot of women really, you know, experience that, whether through pregnancy, uh, the menopause, or at different um, points in their cycle, in their menstrual cycle. And another point as well, the, the fetus itself. Uh, the baby is pressing on the colon and the intestine, so they make the movement of the colon slow down a little bit because it's it's natural obstruction, but it's not it's not obstruction, but it is causing a slower of the bowel movement. All right, so these okay. tend to be the most common causes of, of constipation, which also kind of indicate the different types of constipation that we can have. So how once you've defined up this person or this patient has constipation. What's your plan of action? Oh, the kind of action is before getting to treatment. I usually don't treat the symptoms because, as as you said, constipation is a symptom. So before I treat the symptom, I have to know the cause of constipation, as we mentioned before. So I have to do examine the patient fully. And another important examination, which some patient they are reluctant to do it is the rectal examination with my finger it is important especially if the patient's got uh, bleeding or something down there why because... would you have to examine so that, again I, i'm sure our listeners are interested so if they're hesitant why is it important to do this um, sort of rectal examination what you, are you, you looking know, for yeah when when we were young and medical students and the you know, our old days, we don't have the, the imaging, the technology now. And they taught us abdominal examination is not complete without rectal examination. Because you might, you might discover a lot of things by rectal examination. By seeing the area, you can see some skin tags, you can see fissures, you can see the fistulas by, by, not by rectal examination. You can, you can see the opening as well. And you can... Diagnose rectal cancer. You, there is one case I about two years ago. The one lady came from Nigeria. One of her, I treated one of her friends, and she came from Nigeria, and she had been bleeding on and off, and never been examined rectally. And I examined her. I told she, I told her I have to. She or she said okay. So then I put my finger. I just hit a mess, and the blood came out of the uh, gloves. 
And I did small proctoscopy. I've seen a mess there. And I told her, most likely, you have to take biopsy and you have to do. And she went back to her country and she told me that it was cancer before. So it's important to have this test done. Recognition. So don't hesitate to have the rectal examination if your doctor suggests it. They've done hundreds and hundreds of them. And I'm sure, you know, your butt is not as, (laughs) is not going to be as as special as anyone else's. They've seen hundreds of bums before. (laughs) All right. So, you know, knowing the cause of constipation is obviously extremely important so that you can formulate your plan of action and your management approach. So before you jump on any medication, so you figured out the cause, we can talk about medication. Do you advise dietary and lifestyle as first line therapy? It is first-line therapy, of course, and uh, I can pass this to you. And then, because while I'm doing the the investigations for the cause of the constipation, I have to treat to re, to relieve the constipation. And if if even if I don't find a specific problem, which is uh, is chronic constipation without important medical condition, I have to treat it. And first treatment is diet and exercise. So, so that's when I can take I Yeah, can take what this about the diet? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. So I always say I've had my six-step um constipation toolbox. Now I talk about that in detail um in my upcoming book. But to walk people through what these six steps are, first of all, I know we spoke about fiber quite a lot. Now Fiber, for those who have no idea what fiber is, fiber is simply the backbone of all plant foods. It goes through our digestive system relatively unchanged until it reaches our large intestine. And we have different types of fiber, all of which have different roles. But when it comes to constipation, fiber helps soften the stool, adds bulk to the stool, and improves bowel movement regularity. But what's really important when it comes to fiber is that One, we need to increase it gradually over a four-week period to 20, I would say 25 to 30 grams, depending what my client's baseline is. And obviously, I walk them through what 30 grams of fiber looks like per day. But the reason why I'm saying it should be done over, let's say, a four-week period, and for even some clients, it might be a little longer and you have to do it gradually, is... If you're increasing it too fast, too quickly, that can actually make the constipation worse, but can you know exacerbate other symptoms like bloating and tummy pain. Hi, so yes. Uh, before you go on, do you give the patient list or to let them do each so and so and so? Absolutely. I I explained they have a fiber counter. So a lot of my clients will get a fiber counter as to write per day. This is how we can add three to five grams of fiber in your day. So what does three to five grams of fiber look like? And this is how we start working. So I always say those three to five grams of fiber is is a good sort of starting point to help people see, right, where can I add that additional three or five grams of fiber as part of my diet? And will it be applied to most of the people or you have to I was going to say yes and no exactly it has to be tailored accordingly because when we talk about and this is where it goes back to the cause of constipation and looking at the type of constipation there is a type of constipation called slow transit constipation and that's actually a neuromuscular problem so there is a mechanical issue and generally those 30 grams of fiber per day doesn't apply to that subgroup of patients 
fiber is still quite important. So again, it is highly individualized and it's tailored to the to the type of constipation that we're dealing with. So if you just, you know, to, to give people an idea of ways to increase your, their fiber intake, I always say, you know, take advantage of things like a three bean mix, for example, to add to your salads or stews. And you don't have to consume a lot. You can just add, you know, about half a cup, three days a week to a salad. You can what's switch the, what's the- three beans. So like, you know, you can get these beans, but it can be not just only chickpeas or beans or lentils. You can get a three bean mix to expose your, 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 your gut to different fibers. I mean, one of the easiest things you can do is just switch to whole grain products. So if, you know, choose oats, choose barley, uh, brown rice, instead of white rice, um, whole grain bread, sourdough bread. So these are just, you know, little simple tricks that you can do. You can add ground flax seed and chia seeds to to your cereals or yogurts. Um, I always encourage, you know, my clients to consume the skins of the fruits and vegetables when possible. So, you know, keep the skins on your potatoes, on the carrots and cucumbers. Don't peel them. Other things that you can do, especially when it comes to dealing with kids, is to add some grated or mashed vegetables to things like your muffins or other baked goods. Any good fruits for constipation? We are going to talk. That's my next thing. So the ne- after fiber, actually, kiwi, okay. kiwi fruit is part of that toolbox. I always say, you know, can kiwi fruit a day keep constipation at bay? And generally, it's two kiwi fruit. So some studies have looked at how kiwi fruit improved constipation is because consuming two of them a day produce softer and bulkier poo. And it can improve bowel movement regularity. And why is that? Possible reasons include a its fiber content. It has a very high water holding capacity, so it does make stool bulkier and makes laxation easier. And it has a specific enzyme called actinidin protease. It basically aids in protein digestion, and this specific enzyme can play a role in laxation. So I always encourage my clients, if they're not allergic to kiwi fruit, to add two a day for four weeks and actually see if they notice an improvement. So we've got fiber, we've got kiwi fruit, and then fluid is extremely important. I know you mentioned that before. If we are increasing our fiber intake, we need to make sure we're you know keeping that system going. So making sure to increase their intake or as a rule of thumb is to aim for about 1.5 to 2 liters of fluid, preferably water per day. But obviously keeping in mind that every person is different. That's that's right. And what else do you want to add? So in that toolbox, we've got fiber, we've got kiwi fruit, we've got fluid. And then you mentioned movement. I know movement is extremely important. Again, I don't like to call it exercise because a lot of people can have a turbulent relationship with the word exercise. But movement is extremely important because it helps stimulate our gut muscles to contract and turn causing stool to move quicker. So this way, your poo moves faster through your large intestine or your colon and starts sitting there absorbing too much water from your bowels causing these hard and dry stool. So I encourage people to just go for a 20 minute walk or 15 to 20 minute walk after dinner. I feel that can be a good starting point. And then I'm I'm sure you also mentioned it. One thing that I asked my clients about are, how do you sit when you poo? So toilet habits are extremely important. And I I always, you know, show people to, you know, to, to use the C posture that sit, elevate, eliminate. So I think it's really important that when you are, 
you know, sitting by elevating your leg, it stimulates that squatting positions. So positioning your pelvic floor muscles in a way that you're going to have an easier balance. Another point, don't read or use your phone or any other <laughs> device while you're trying to move your body because you'll switch your attention to these things. And it's better to, because sometimes people take the It's a distraction. Newspaper. I was going to say, yeah. absolutely. And, and, and something that my, you know, a lot of my clients laugh about is when I ask them if they mindfully poo, just like there's this whole concept of mindful eating, there is this whole concept of mindful pooping. So this is also very um, crucial to remind our clients yeah. to poo without any distractions. Before the the era of the mobile, everybody goes reading the newspaper in the town. You know that? Yes, yes. <laughs> yes. I remember okay. back in the, well, you always used to take the paper on <laughs> and be in the toilet there for ages. I stopped all of these things. <laughs> all right. So to wrap up my toolbox, we spoke about, so we've got fiber, we've got your toilet habits, kiwi fruit, fluid movement, and finally supplements. And I'm not sure, I, I think this will also move on to medication down the line. But when we talk about supplements, I'm sure you've come across psyllium husk. So have you used it with your clients before? Yes, definitely. Even I give them a picture of it. Okay. So, I mean, again, a lot of the times people, when it comes to supplement, again, it's really important to make sure if it's the right supplement for you. So with psyllium husk, it's just simply a type of fiber um, that's known to help you feel fuller for longer because um, of the type of fiber in it. What I like about psyllium husk is it helps with both constipation and diarrhea. So this is why I actually like using it. And my most common suggestion, if you were to have psyllium husk, is to dissolve, you know, start off with one teaspoon. So dissolve one teaspoon of psyllium husk in a glass of water, followed by another glass of water to make sure you've washed it all down. So this is actually some, you know, it's it's something that I add to my client's morning routine with the psyllium drink before breakfast. Okay, please, there is one question before we go further. Some of the patient, the everybody reads now. Uh, for the fiber, they ask me, do I have, do I have to take soluble fibers or insoluble fibers? What do you say? Well, it's first of all, defining what each is. I think, again, soluble fiber is a type of fiber. And, you know, think about it as the, the flesh, you know, it's found in the flesh of your um, fruits and vegetables. And basically what this fiber does, it forms a, a gel per se. Um so in a way, it also helps soften the stool and it helps people feel fuller for a longer period of time. Insoluble fiber is a type of fiber. So think about the skins of your fruits and vegetables and whole grain products and all brand. And that just simply adds bulk to your poo, making it easier to pass. And um, I, my suggestion would be to have a nice mix between the two, because sometimes if you're increasing a lot of insoluble fiber, that might backfire and make the constipation worse. That's, that's right. And uh, some people with diarrhea, they, they use fiber as well. We can talk about it next Yeah, next episode. we'll talk about, I think we're going to highlight more soluble fiber when it comes to diarrhea, because there's a lot of, you know, old school thinking is that we need to cut out all forms of fiber if we have diarrhea. And that's not all, that's not the case. And maybe the last sort of supplement that's also used um, is partially hydrolyzed guar gum, which is PHCG. I don't, I don't, have you used that before that? Or do you use psyllium husk more? Which one? Partially hydrolyzed guar gum. 
if I don't know to pronounce it, so I didn't use it. <laughs> it is actually very common, let's say, in the US. Um, yeah. And it's also found in a lot of um, different products, but that can be another supplement that some clients use. I personally use, when it comes to supplementation, I like to use psyllium husk more and some probiotic supplements too. Um, specific strains of probiotic supplements. I know I've mentioned a few when we spoke about um, irritable bowel syndrome, the constipation predominant type. So, yeah. you know, um, our listeners can go back to that episode to talk, you know, to just uh, learn about these different probiotic strains when it comes to constipation. Yeah. So these, this is what I would call my, my six, is it my six step toolbox, um, fiber, toilet, kiwi fruit, fluid, movement, and supplements. Okay. So that, I think from, from, from supplements, we can probably move to, to medication. Are there common medication used to treat constipation? There's a lot of medication now, the good medications to treat constipation, but we have to be careful. There is some sorts of medication in the taken over the counter, which can cause the constipation becomes diarrhea and they just, and uh, they take it for a few, if you take it for a few weeks, they feel better. They take it a few months. They make the constipation in the future more problematic. So it's better to be careful. Don't take anything on the counter without consulting your doctor or gastroenterologist or your GP or family doctor. So it's very important to, to take medication which is needed for constipation. And you know how this specific medication works? Because there is, I don't want to write, to say specific names, but there is groups of medication which can make the bowel movements near normal and they don't cause habits or the patient will not depend on it until patient gets everything like you said and they start to have normal bowel movement okay it is together with the 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 as you said stool softener and laxative which is does not cause diarrhea so, so basically i think you were talking i mean those specific laxatives that you were talking about and come with a word of warning are the stimulant laxatives. And I know yeah. they do have these risky side effects. Again, I also don't want to mention no specific yeah. names. I'm not going to say, but the active ingredients of these stimulant laxatives that our listeners have to be wary yeah. about are things like glycerine, castor oil, senna is also very, very senna, popular. Yeah. Um, Dad, do you know that senna was actually... Um, originated in Egypt? Yes. Most of the treatment was originated in Egypt, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so you're very proud of that. Maybe not of Senna, but of other things. <laughs> I mean, for those who are not familiar with Senna, I'm sure our listeners have come across skinny teas, or I actually like to call them shit yourself tea blends. Um, and Senna is an essential ingredient marketed as part of weight loss teas or these detox teas that I absolutely hate. Yeah, about the constipation as well. Did you hear about the colon uh, cleansing? Or of course, and I talk, high, you know, I speak highly against them, not highly of them. So, would you have you ever recommended a colon irrigation or colon cleanse to your patients? Never, ever. Even last month, I got one patient. She had this once. She felt much better, and she's planning to have it. Uh, they give her a course of having it each, I don't know, every month or every two months, which I explained her, to her the side effects. So she she told me, I'll never go, no need for the money. So it's very, 
not 100% evidence-based medicine or behavior. The complication, if it is not done by a professional, it might cause perforation of the colon, and you don't need it. You're, if, even if you got constipation, the toxins will not accumulate in your body, and you will move your, if you remove your bowel, it will be moved and you will clean it. And uh, if, you, if you do the cleansing today and after you will go to the bathroom and you start to have poo and you have to clean it every now and then, or it's not, uh, it's not practical, it's not uh, evidence-based, and it's got a lot of side effects. Uh, no, I don't I, think we need it here. No, I definitely, I mean, I, I, I speak against colonics or colonic irrigation. What would you like to add? <laughs> uh, nothing else. It's surgery for treatment of constipation is very, very rare, but in some uh, specific cases like blockage, like uh, instant obstruction, uh, this, uh, if it is something anatomical needed to treat constipation, we go to surgery, which is very rare and it's very specific. Okay. Uh, okay. So do you think we covered the most important points when it comes to constipation? I'm not sure. I, I think so. <laughs> but if you can say, for example, how can prevent constipation? Last question. Do you want uh, to answer is, that? I think this is the wrap of what we said. To eat well and balanced diet, plenty of fiber and fluid. We'll drink about eight ounces or, or glasses of water every day. Exercise. What else you can add? Toilet posture, toilet habits, not delaying the urge to go. Yes, that's right. Yani, just move your bowel when you feel the urge. Don't wait or don't treat or don't finish your work and postpone your uh, the call of colon to pass. Your colon call, poo. as you say. It. Yeah. Your colon yes. call. But yeah. I, I think, I mean, that's the thing when it comes to prevention. I really hope people do take these lifestyle and dietary tactics a little bit seriously, but I also encourage a lot of doctors and GPs to actually focus on prevention and highlight the importance of prevention, but also it's important to, again, this is from, I know we say, we actually say the word important quite a lot, dad, we need to find a different word for important, but it Extreme, is crucial. Extremely important. <laughs> <laughs> it is extremely important <laughs> to actually, just like you said, know the cause of constipation and not just treat the symptoms. So the last point I want to add, when should I call my doctor or when should I go to the doctor if I've got constipation? I'll say one and you can say another one. First, if the constipation is the new problem for you, that's number one. Number two. And dad, you can finish that. You're the gastroenterologist. Uh, okay. <laughs> for you to take that on. <laughs> All right. You can if you if you if you pass blood in the stools, if you lose weight with the constipation without any specific uh, obvious cause, severe pain while doing bowel movement might denote obstruction. If the constipation is new and lasts for more than two to three weeks. And so the last thing, if you're yeah, important things to see the doctor. Yeah. Okay, not delay basically yeah. seeing your GP or gastroenterologist. Yes, yes. and you you just it's important to talk. I know it's important again. Anyway, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, please don't be shy to talk about your poo. It's every everybody is doing it, even all yeah. the kings, queens, and <laughs> actresses. Everybody. Everyone okay. poos. Everybody poos, and I think, yeah. and this is what sometimes I really. Um, highlight to my clients that please do not delay if something's wrong you know talking about poo can actually save your life yes 
Well, with that, I'd like to end today's episode. So thank you for listening in. And I hope you join us next week where we are going to talk about part two, more on poo, but this time we're going to talk about diarrhea. So have a great rest of the week and join us next week. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Gastroenterologist and His Daughter podcast. Don't forget to join us again. And if you've been enjoying our chats, make sure you subscribe, follow, or leave a review on your chosen platform.